Welcome to the Sea Change Show, where leaders are changing business culture for good. I'm your host, Maura Barclay. If you are a new listener, welcome. We sure appreciate you finding us and stopping by, and you did not find us by accident. Be sure to click that subscribe button so you don't miss a single conversation with the incredible transformational leaders who come on this show. And if you are a frequent flyer, welcome back, my friends. Today is a highlight episode. I just want to unpack something from Lee John Killingsworth. If you didn't catch that episode, he is absolutely incredible. I met Lee about, gosh, probably a year ago, maybe more than a year ago at a, at a fundraiser for the startup that I work with as their chief mindset and culture officer. And he was there. I mean, he was just listening to pitches, I think. And he is a marketing ninja. This man has helped Coyote Ugly reach over a billion dollars in sales. And they are the first, I believe the first bar or restaurant to ever, or maybe like, I think franchise, bar franchise to ever cross that line. That's in large part due to his genius and his, gosh, his pace. I've never seen anyone work quite like him. And I was just so honored. It was so, so, so excited to have him on the show because he has a very interesting perspective on how to empower women. Now, those of you who've never heard of Coyote Ugly, let me acquaint you. Well, number one, you know, it's a, it's a dive bar, but it's a female run business and it employs predominantly women. Like those bars are run by women. It's women behind the bar. I think they have some security guards, some male security in front, but it's predominantly women. And the way that Coyote Ugly has operationalized this female empowerment is really special. And Lee being one of the drivers of that culture he is all about opening the door for women and being a champion. I mean, the fact he's on my show, he's so busy and he found time to talk about this. It's funny because our whole conversation was fantastic. I mean, he, he really has a unique insight. He's incredibly emotionally intelligent and uh, he recognizes where people have, they have cultural conditioning that gets in the way of equitable relationships between genders. And so he's able to see that as a man and also see the other side of it as a man. So very, very interesting stuff. And it was funny to me, the very last part of our interview, it just felt like a fireworks finale, you know, like the whole, every time you get those fireworks going up, it's like, ooh, ah. And then at the end, it's just like, bam, 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 bam. That's what it felt like to me. And I captured it in a soundbite that I shared across social media. And I just want to repeat it briefly here so, so that I can uh, dive in for just a moment. Now, naturally, the way Lee says this, well, let's just say I, can, I could probably never capture his enthusiasm and his passion. So I will just speak it out and let you listen to the soundbite to get the full Lee experience. He says, (laughs) if money is all you care about, the data supports diverse teams make more money, they make better decisions and faster decisions. So stop with the nonsense, open the door and get out of their way. 
Women have a lot of value to offer, lots of perspective that we have blind spots for, we being men. Stop thinking we know everything. Get these diverse teams together and let's listen and we'll make some money. That's what it boils down to. And that's how we broke records. I thought that it was so noteworthy because, you know, I don't know what it's like to walk in a man's shoes. I never will. And I don't presume to. So there's definitely an awareness in me that I, I'm not going to go into a boardroom and, and try to tell men about them, right? That doesn't seem to track with me. However, there's lots of men that have really sage advice and perspective for other men. And they are kind enough to come on to this show, which I really appreciate. I think there's just certain things that men can hear from men, just as there's certain things that women can hear from women. And we don't, you know, we're not really, if you haven't had a direct experience, then there's just a little piece of credibility missing. It doesn't mean that you're not correct and that it's not logical and that you're not offering value. Sometimes that lived experience carries a lot of weight. So I recognize there's certain things that women really want to discuss with women. And there's things that I think the same goes for men. So in an effort to, I had no idea that he was going to say any of that. It was amazing. I think the, the real highlight here is the part where he said, stop acting like we know everything. Right. And I, I feel like leadership has been defined just from my corner of the world, from what I've been able to observe after, you know, in my 30 years of working and working in predominantly male fields as a firefighter, as a U.S. military contractor, lots of men. And I've had the opportunity to just sit back and witness all the male policing, the way they it's always done kind of in jest, but you can tell nobody really wants to, nobody wants to be at, at the end of that, that joke, right? Where their, their masculinity is called into question. If they, they say something that's maybe just a little bit too empathic or, or sensitive or whatever. So I, I've been able to witness this and it feels very much like the definition of leadership has been you got to be the smartest guy in the room, especially if you're in the executive level. You better get that Ivy League uh, education out of your mouth and onto the table immediately so everybody knows that you know what you're doing. And also having the last, the last idea, right? So smartest, driving, driving the conversation, doing more talking than listening, and certainly not really inviting a lot of alternate perspectives because you're expected to have the answer. So on one hand, uh, sure simplifies things, but it's certainly, it may speeds things up potentially, but in the end, it's not going to give the, the broader perspective of alternate points of view that lead people to make better decisions and decisions that contribute to an increase in revenue like across the board, I believe the last metric that was considered standard was diverse decision-making teams, diverse leadership teams contribute to about 6% more revenue 
than homogenized groups. That's the latest metric that I've read. I don't know if that's been updated. So I think what this comes down to, I mean, there's this is this is such a a culture shift. And there's another piece of this that occurred to me while I was listening to to Lee, and he, he you know he put such a fine point on it. You know, get out of the way, just let them in, let them exist, let them. You know, they've they've got perspectives that we don't see. It occurred to me that so many of the rules are changing. So the double standards that were accepted, an acceptable part of our culture, at least, you know, these are things that we, we had to tolerate as women and it was just accepted. Those things are start, those things have really begun to unravel in a significant way. And I think that me too is as an example of that. So Behavior, there've been, there's, al there's always been leaders who have questionable behavior and it's not everybody y'all. I mean, when I was studying uh, violence and women, uh, male, male perpetrated violence against women, it, I think it's pretty safe to say, accurate to say that it's a very, it's a minority of men creating the majority of the problem. And in some ways, I feel like that's that's kind of what's happening here. There's so many really good male leaders. Uh, it's just that this command and control culture that is expected once you reach the enterprise level, that takes longer to, uh, I would say, un devolve. It takes longer to unscrew <laughs> and put something, another piece into that leadership puzzle. So I love, I love how, how passionately was about saying, Hey, you know, stop pretending we know everything. And that's going to take some psychological safety building for the men who feel like the rug has been pulled out from underneath them. That's, that's what it looks like to me anyway, as, as a woman, uh, and as a culture consultant, and uh, people strategists is looking at it from the 30,000 foot view, regardless of right and wrong, regardless of good and bad, regardless of morally justified or not, the rules changed suddenly for men. And what they were able to say without consequence changed drastically. And now the consequences were significant. So if I'm a 55 year old man and I want to feel free to joke around at work in, in, in a, in an intention of being jovial or, uh, you know, with, with my, with my work, my people, and I've joked around in a way that is insensitive to a person of color or a woman, you know, that man's going to get taken to task and who would want that? That sounds kind of scary and like a pain in the ass. And it feels like they're being rejected. And again, I'm not a man. That's just my observation. Suddenly you can't say anything. And I, I can understand this in a, in a sort of smaller microcosm of it because I'm from a generation where, you know, there's only two pronouns 
And I love the fact that my daughter's growing up and she's like, you know what? I think I might be a they. I'm like, you go. I love that she she's she's not changing anything else but how she identifies herself. I love the fact that we are breaking out of the binary identification because as humans, we are far more complex than culturally uh, or even genetically defined uh, labels. So not to get in the weeds about this, I do appreciate that. And if I see somebody that appears to be a, a biological male, that's the, the gender that they were assigned at birth. However, they are, they identify as female and um, they might be wearing sort of female colors, maybe a little bit of makeup, but everything else reads from a primal survival point of view, reads male to my <laughs> amygdala, to my, my animal brain, my, <laughs> my unevolved, my cave person brain. I might make a mistake completely unintentionally. So for somebody like me, who's actually really invested in having everybody feel seen and everybody feel like they belong, if I were to call someone the incorrect pronoun, I would feel terrible. Now that doesn't stop the person from being deeply offended and accusing me of microaggressing them. And that's where I start to really understand on a very small level, how some will call them traditional leadership approach men may be feeling. And I, I've met, a, I've met these men, the men that, that aren't, that uh, the show is for there. These are a lot of these men. They, they are, they consider themselves feminists. They have daughters. They consider themselves quite uh, woke. It's, it's whatever that word's doing these days. They're, they're good people. They have, they really are quote unquote trying. They don't, they don't associate themselves with anything other than like being part of the solution and progress. And yet things are very slow to change. So I wanted to shout that out a little bit because Lee really opened the door with his perspective that I suspect that there is a lack of psychological safety on the part of, of the generation of men who sit in positions of homogenized leadership teams on boards and in, uh, and in executive boardroom or in executive teams because by bringing in someone other than what they know, they open themselves up uh, to liability because they are not the culture. And again, I know I'm speaking for a gender that I am not. My observation is men in that generation have not been uh, culturally conditioned to be careful about what they say and what that actually means to be careful. Um, it's just, it's never really, it's like all you need is the intention and that's enough. So if you offend someone, it's okay because you didn't mean to, right? But that's not enough anymore. So this perception of risk may be very real and may be a tremendous obstacle to, as Lee puts it, getting out of the way. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. And I think one of the greatest maybe ironies or paradoxes about this whole thing is 
you know, the one thing that's a privilege is being born into uh, a family that, that has some resources as a white male. And if you want to get specific, a tall white male with a deep voice and a head full of hair makes a difference. Ask Tony Robbins. Let me just ask, ask you this. Let me, let me riddle you this. For those of you who are rolling their eyes, do you think, and I'm asking this for real, do you think that Tony Robbins would be who he is and have the career that he does if he were a five foot five, morbidly obese, bald guy? Would anybody listen to him? Especially if he had a higher voice, higher register. Would anybody listen to him? And if they did, do you think they would listen to him to the degree that they do? Would he inspire? How much of Tony Robbins is built on his massive presence? I mean, if I were an alpha male, I would be looking for other alpha males. And nothing says alpha like tall, deep voice, head of hair, look out, right? So uh, let's be real about our primal instincts because they are legitimate. Um, <laughs> I don't even remember where I was going with that because I got so sidetracked. My point is this, the irony and perhaps paradox that the, the very people who have it quote unquote the easiest, the, the unseen privilege of being a white male because of the system being built to uh, facilitate with, with ease versus being a black woman, much different experience going to law school, much different experience going into academia. That I think is unassailable, that, that truth, that fact. You can argue about privilege, but you can't argue about the experience that is different when a white man is walking into court and he's going to the guards, the guards don't question him. When a black woman is trying to get into a court, the security guard says to her, you need to be a lawyer in order to go in there. And she is a lawyer. That's not something a white man thinks about because he doesn't have that experience. It doesn't mean he's guilty of anything. It's just something to acknowledge. So all of this privilege is going on and all of this, all the narrative about that. And yet I still think that the lack of psychological safety for men to feel safe, to be who they are, to feel accepted, to feel like they belong, I think that's missing. And if there was a way to, to help these men feel like, all right, I can have black women in, on my team. I can have women. I can have black men. I can have people of color. I can have an indigenous person on my team, even though they're going to be very, very different. And I don't have to worry about being, you know, the sort of Damocles taken off my head. If I try to say something to be engaging and it turns out that it didn't work out like I planned, I think that's a, I think that's a piece that's missing. I think we need psychological safety for all. That is my highlight for Lee John Killingsworth. And again, if you did not listen to it, please go and find it. It's, I mean, don't go find it. It was last week, but uh, it is fantastic. He is fantastic. 
And I would love to know if you have any insight or comments about this, because I don't hear every, anybody talking about psychological safety for middle-aged white men <laughs> because shit has changed for them. And, you know, seeing all of this microaggression and all this stuff coming up. And I mean, it's really important and it's really exhausting and it all matters and there is no clear answer. So welcome to the messy middle with me. I want to thank you so much for listening to my show. I appreciate you so much. If you think you'd be a good fit for this show, please connect with me. And if you have a colleague you think would be a good fit, if you see someone really getting it right, it doesn't necessarily matter if they are a CEO, whatever it is. If you know somebody who's got some really good best practices for DEIB at senior levels of leadership, that's what we're doing here please reach out to me or, or connect us on LinkedIn. So thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming and listening. And I'd love to know what you think. Give me a review and please come back next week. And every Thursday, there's going to be someone super exciting. And we're going to be talking about things that I, uh, I endeavor to be a little bit different than what everybody else is talking about. So enjoy the shows coming at you. Leave me a review. Please share this with anyone you think it might be helpful for. And I will catch you next week. Toodaloo. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Sea Change Show. We sure appreciate you stopping by and taking your very valuable time to visit with us. Please remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Who knows what's going to happen? I never do. It's always up in the air. And if you would like to be a guest, if you have something to offer, I would love to talk to you. Please email me at cultureworks at morabarclay.com. And that's M-A-U-R-A-B-A-R-C-L-A-Y.com. I would love to talk with you. And if you have someone who you think would be a good fit for this show, please reach out to me and connect me. I want to keep celebrating and amplifying as many of these voices as possible. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.